My dear friends, followers of the way, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's awfully strange, isn't it, that although we are constantly here, and by here I mean in this time and place, right here in the moment, in the present, where else could we possibly be, we still find it nearly impossible simply to live and be in the present. Instead, our thoughts and minds are almost always concerned with our past, so much so that we get stuck, frozen, chained, perhaps even imprisoned is a good way to talk about it. Imprisoned in a life that has already happened, that is behind us now, but where we're stuck. We start to ask a whole bunch of questions like this. Well, what have I done? Has it been enough? Where have I been? Where haven't I been? What have I left undone? What have I missed? What have I messed up? What could I have done better? We look back at ourselves, upon our decisions, upon our choices, and we find one of two things. Either we look back and we find a fondness that brings about a longing for our past glory days, wishing we could be back then when there was something good that we had. Or we are filled with regret at what could have been. If only we had made a different choice. If only I had taken that slightly different path. Oh, what I could have been then. Hindsight is always 2020, right? And so we're always looking back over the shoulder seeing what could have been. And history, of course, is filled with lessons that we should have learned, but we look back and realize that we just continue to repeat the mistakes of the past. And you know, when it comes right down to the point, it doesn't really matter if you're filled with glory from the past or filled with regret. And actually, it's usually a combination of both. I mean, really, have you looked at your high school yearbook recently? There's a lot of glory and regret in there. But it doesn't really matter because either way, we get stuck looking over the shoulder, looking back, and living in the past, living in a life already gone. Now, on the other hand, when we come to despair of our past, we get this idea that the future needs to become our focus. So instead of lamenting the unchangeable past, we change gears really quickly and we look forward, realizing that to make a future for ourselves, it's time to start right now. You can't change your decisions from back there, but you can start today, can't you? That way, when the future arrives, well, we would have made all the right steps to get there. We will have created our own preferred future by starting to act better now. Then we can behold all of our glory from the future back to this time without any of the regrets. Wouldn't that be nice? 
We call this kind of hope a dream. It lives in our imagination and we spend hours thinking about it, thinking about where we would like to be, imagining how we might create our own future just the way we like it. We even have generations fixed upon these kinds of thoughts. We call them a lot of things. It might be the American dream, whatever that is. Or it might be something like the Dream Act that promises great things but is always out of reach. Or perhaps it's the dream of perfect equality amongst all of us, something to strive for, but it never actually gets here, does it? We have so many dreams. And while dreams are inspiring and motivating, they place all our hope for real life, not here today in the present, but somewhere out there in the future when we don't know when it'll arrive. But when it gets here, that'll be real. That'll be the life we wanted. So the present then becomes just a stepping stone along the pathway of life to that place far off, that place of wonder, and so that we must simply endure today, get through it to get to that better thing. But of course, you start to realize that each misstep in the present pushes that dream just a little further out so that we never could even possibly arrive there until each of us, all of us, get every step just right to get there. And so you see, yet again, the present becomes something elusive. Even though it's the only time and place where we actually exist, it is so difficult for us. Well, in our gospel reading, it says that Jesus has now set his face to Jerusalem. That's where he's going but that didn't mean he had to take a direct route. He didn't get on the nearest interstate or hop on the express train. He didn't just say, it's time to go to Jerusalem, here we go. And that's because Jerusalem isn't for him simply the end point of his journey. It's not a destination. It's not a dream out there someplace that he wants to get to as quickly as possible. Instead, for Jesus, it's not a dream somewhere far off but it is rather his constant, present reality. Jerusalem is the cross. It is his death at the hands of sinners. His face is set there, and he's going there, but he's finding sinners and death and rejection everywhere. Jerusalem is the last straw in the conflict between God and his human creatures that no longer want his presence here in the present with us. They don't want God to be God, for God is always present. So, Jesus' path apparently took him to the northwest. That wasn't the direction of Jerusalem. This is over to the northwest side, into the Samaritan countryside. And it says that there the disciples found that they would not receive him. Well, imagine that. That's just par for the course for Jesus, though, isn't it? 
This is reality setting in for all of us. There is not some pocket of place where Jesus could go, where everyone would throw their arms around him and say, we've been waiting for you all this time. Everywhere he goes, he finds rejection. It's not just the Samaritans that won't accept him. It's already been his own people. And as you hear the gospel, you'll see it plainly. Even his disciples will turn against him. In fact, the entire world is set against Jesus, whose face is set to Jerusalem. That's Jerusalem. For the way of Jesus Christ is the way of freedom, not stuck or trapped in the past, nor imprisoned by our futuristic dreams that never seem to arrive. Jesus is the present, eternal God, always. Wherever he is, there is God, and God is present. Jesus is not some guy who lived and died 2,000 years ago in, in order to teach you to be a better you. The story of Jesus is not that we, you know, us, human society throughout the ages, if we could only see the tragedy and injustice of Jesus' death, then our hearts would break and we would try to do better. And by doing better, we would have been better off today, right? That's merely the lament of our looking back across the generations, wishing things could be different. Well, Jesus did die 2,000 years ago to take the sin of the world today, even. To take all of the sin of the world there in Jerusalem, the present reality for all time. And God raised him from the dead so that he would always be present to you. Not just at that time, but here and now, today even. For wherever he comes to you in his word, there is the present kingdom of God. There is Jesus Christ for you. Now, that may be in Sioux Falls, or that could be in Jerusalem, or even Samaria. Heck, that could be on the moon, or on the Mars, or on the cross. There is the kingdom of God present for you. There is Christ giving you the kingdom presently. That's why setting his face to Jerusalem is not a dream, but a reality for him. Jerusalem, the reality that everyone is against him. The cross is our last attempt to keep our glory days and to keep our dreams from the future in our own hands. But it's also God's final word of forgiveness and freedom, freeing us from the past and freeing us for his future so that now nothing we can throw at him, nothing beyond the cross will be able to keep him away from being present to us always. So as they're journeying to Jerusalem, they hear people say, I will follow you anywhere. Your dreams, Jesus, will be my dreams. We'll get there together, I promise. 
But Jesus says to him, I have nowhere to go. I'm just here with you now. We hear others say, I will follow you after I finish my other important tasks. But Jesus says, what other important tasks? The kingdom is here. I am your new life standing right here in front of you. Here and now, the presence there in Christ and here for us today. And yet we find it so difficult just to be, to hear the promise, and to live. This is what St. Paul means in Galatians 5 that we read, where he writes, For freedom Christ has set you free. That's the whole point. That is its own goal, that freedom is what Jesus Christ has come to do. Why do you insist on returning to your stuck past? Why do you insist on returning to your never-ending dreams of a better future? Why do you keep trying to build for yourself a future and a life? Those are the chains and the bars and the cells that prevent you from living by faith now, here, today. Well, we do it, of course, because death is a problem for us. We can't imagine that just the promise of Christ is enough for us to live in. And so we have to show everybody our past. Look at all that I've done. Or we have to show everybody what we might become. Look what I could be. And we want it all wrapped up in a nice little story that we could show to one another or show to God to say, I'm worth something, aren't I? Aren't I worth something in myself? But Jesus says that the way of a Christian is one of death, dying to self and living to God. Dying to yourself, of course, is not very attractive. It doesn't sound like something you really want to do. And so we hold on for some measure of control of who we were or who will be so that we can have life on our own terms rather than life by God's terms. But when you die to yourself, of course, following Jesus takes on a whole different method. For when Jesus says, follow me, we start to look at ourselves and look beyond, behind ourselves and wonder, have I followed enough? Have I followed the right way? Is there something that I've missed? Is there something that I've messed up? But when his word comes, follow me as a freedom. Now, no longer to look behind or to look ahead, but simply to be with Christ. You can think of it this way. When somebody says to you, I love you, they're doing more than just stating a fact or giving you some sort of historical information in the past. When you leave your house in the morning and your loved one, your child or your spouse or your parent tells you, I love you, they're giving you a promise to carry you through the day, something to cling to, a word to hold on to that creates a future that you're allowed to live in the present. 
It's a promise made in the past which gives you a future that you know about so that you can live in the moment, in the present life. Just like baptism, given to us one time, it comes to us again and again, daily returning to the promise that we would live, not because we're such great followers, but because we have been freed to follow Christ. For there, that is where we find that we are children of God. Not then or back then, but now. You are heirs according to the promise, not according to the law or your genetics or what you've done or messed up, but according to God's promise to you. What more could you possibly want? What more could you possibly have than all the riches of God's kingdom handed to you as a gift on the cross of Christ? Those who put their hand to the plow and look back are not fit for the kingdom of God. But you are free in Christ. Hear and believe and live. Amen.